I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Alexis the Midwife. And I'm Becky the Doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. We are delighted that we have a fantastic partnership this season with Sophie Le Giraffe, especially because this year is Sophie's 60th birthday. And we have some exciting things lined up in Sophie's honour across this season, including a special birthday celebration episode. If you want to see the full range of Sophie Le Giraffe products, head over to sophielegiraffe.co.uk So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. Today we'd love to welcome Kira Danson to the show. Kira is a mother, voiceover artist and actor. Kira, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. So Kira, as a midwife and doula, obviously we love a birth story and then we know you've got two gorgeous boys. So would you mind going back and telling us what your pregnancies and births were like. Yeah, absolutely. God, it feels like a long time ago now because Archie, my eldest, is seven this year and Albie, uh, he's going to be three. Um, but I was only, I was 27 when I had Archie, so it was all just a, a brand new experience for me. Uh, I just thought it was going to be, you know, quite <laughs> straightforward to get pregnant, have a baby, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> That's it. Um, but no, uh, and again, it's difficult, isn't it, with with pregnant women listening to uh, to birth stories because they... Um, they're all different, but uh, <laughs> that's what this is all about, absolutely. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, but yeah, Archie, I was in labour for 96 hours. Um, so that was oh, a love. fun... Yeah, that that's was... long. Uh, isn't it long? That is ridiculous, isn't it? It is, And it is. very unusual, I think, I should probably add. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, for first babies, if we include the latent phase, which is the early part of labour, mm-hmm. and I always teach this when I do my antenatal classes... It can be a couple of hours, Kira. It could be a couple, two or three days. So actually, mm. and Becky will tell you this as well, because there's a doula that she's worked with so many women over the years where she gets called as soon as things start happening. Becky, the amount of times with Primips, which is people having their first babies that you've gone and you spent a few days with them, has yeah. got to be often. Yeah, definitely. We don't talk about the latent phase enough to know what to expect. And I think that quite often, and I i mean, I ballsed it up myself and I, I should have known better. I'd been doing births for years, but I think we get up and we get going as soon as those contractions come whereas actually what we should do is go to bed and almost try and ignore it and kind of but sometimes the latent phase 
can also be quite painful so it's really hard mm. isn't it to to know what's absolutely what with it all. and even though you can't go into a deep sleep if you can try and rest but you see and, and Kira I'm sure you experienced this it's it's one thing us saying this it's quite another especially with the excitement that comes with the fact things are starting and you know you're mm. going to meet your baby actually really trying to rest and take it very slowly and being very intentional about that in the early early parts of the labor can be easier said than done basically oh absolutely I I mean I've I mean I suffer really badly actually with health anxiety so it was Mm. really difficult for me to believe that actually there wasn't something wrong but this is what happens you know so I was kind of battling with all of that thinking oh I couldn't really just relax into it and say this is how it goes Mm. and also you know I was really young and I had absolutely no idea I was the first of my friends no one had you know I had no one to really guide me I actually did have um private midwives which uh which was a saving grace for me because Mm. you know I I could I just couldn't have done it without them yeah it's lovely to have that continuity isn't it and sort of know the people and have that familiar face with private midwives (laughs) for sure yeah that was what it was for me because I did think you know in this situation and (laughs) it goes on longer than an hour you know what did I know um (laughs) it'll be I'll see the same people and I'm and I'm Mm. so glad because uh you know she especially one of the the lovely ladies she just was with me you know (laughs) pretty much for nine months so and I still to this day I'm like what would I have done without you but no and then actually after those exactly those 96 hours to you know naively I I saw it written down you know and I thought god is that what I've been through but like you said that's that would have been including it all of it so it's probably Mm. um it's probably all relevant but in the end and uh, I think Archie was um pushing with the wrong part of his head and that to me means nothing Mm. but probably to you means everything (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely it's the position of the baby absolutely and the part of the the presenting part that basically has impact with the cervix as you're having those surges those contractions and and as the babies and the back upper part of the baby's head seems to have the best um, impact and it's directly against babies and it was your baby back to back no Kira? no he wasn't actually he was um well okay. apparently sort of in the in the right position but uh yeah but slightly tilted head maybe well, he must have been mm. yeah yeah so they said you know in the end that he, this is never going to happen naturally for you and and you know uh I, I, to be honest I was just more exhausted um than anything else mm. after after those uh however many days and and then they had to do an emergency c-section which um which actually was was brilliant actually that you know the way it was all done was so impressive how how it was all handled and then and then Mm. that was that really and then the rest is a bit of a blur I'm not surprised. The thing is, love, as well, when you've got a baby presenting that way, what happens is your body has to contract even harder to try and get the baby in the right position. So not only was it really long, but your surges would have been through the roof. I mean, yeah, they were. Presumably it felt intense. (laughs) It was. It it was. But again, I've got nothing to relate it to. And I thought like, yeah, I'm not even I I know that I didn't get very far along. So I thought like if this, you know, as as the further this goes, the worse it's going to become pain wise, surely. But but actually, they were very intense and, that, and that's why they decided to give me um they gave me some pethidin which um mm-hmm. oh mm. for me personally was the uh was not <laughs> it was the most bizarre experience I've ever ever <laughs> had in my life and it's a bit out of body isn't it well, it's, it's exactly what it is and I've never you know I'm, I'm terrified of paracetamol mm. so I've never touched a drug in my life so I'm imagining that this is what it oh, must have been you know at these yes. <laughs> Glastonbury well, listen, it's <laughs> 
Well, Kira, it's it's an opiate, so it's part yeah. of that same family as Is morphine actually, and everything like this. Oh, now yes, I know. Yes, yeah. Now I know. Absolutely. So, and for somebody like you say who's never experienced anything like that before, it probably oh. was. And this is why pethidine and and diamorphine they often get referred to as marmite medications, which is like oh, some yeah, women absolutely. say, "Oh my goodness, that was amazing, and I loved it." And other women will say, "Oh my goodness, I never want to have that again. I felt like it just felt so bizarre. I felt out of control." It's like and being so off I think your it's face, such, isn't so it? It's oh, such a personal face. experience, honestly. Isn't it? I, yeah. And I just remember having gas and air, and I had the um, I had the gas you know thingy on, on my shoulder and like my brain was mm. telling me Kira you know that's gas and air and all I could mm. see and I mean this 100% I remember it forever I could just see a chicken leg on my shoulder and I was like no that is gas and air please I know it is it was the way I can't explain like my brain was like you're right and your body was like no 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 don't put that chicken leg anywhere <laughs> the things that we I've heard and I'm sure Becky's the same the things that women have said to us while they've mm. been puffing away on the gas and air or after after the surge the contraction finishes just mental. once the, the gas and air it's, it's there are some funny moments let's put it that way oh, yeah just ridiculous yeah so I mean after the pethidin you know everything was just lovely for me I just was like oh please just stop showing me chicken everywhere and, and just give me a baby instead <laughs> And there is that bit it, after a long labor where things aren't progressing and you're working really, really hard. There mm. is that bit, that calm that comes when actually the birth team say, right, do you know what? You've done so well, but this is what we need to do. And we're going to help you now. And you're like, yes, please yeah, help yeah, me. Because exactly. you do feel like it feels, you can't do do very much more. Yeah. And it feels quite calm because it's quite controlled, isn't it? Everyone everyone goes into action and you're like, okay, brilliant. Now we're getting somewhere. And, you know, at that point, you just need your baby in your arms, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And um, it's always a bit of a scary thing when you hear emergency C-section, but it was so far from scary. It, like it wasn't, there was mm. no emergency mm. situation, actually. It was just like yeah. you said, right, now we need to intervene and, and this is how we're going to do it. Another thing that isn't always understood is that emergency C-section tends to refer to a baby that needs to be born via, you know, an abdominal birth, usually within the next hour or so. And mm. so the emergency is just really the fact that it's an unplanned cesarean section rather than the decision was made beforehand. Yeah. A crash cesarean section, with, you know, an urgent cesarean section, we're talking about we need this baby out in the next 10 or 15 minutes mm. is actually extremely rare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think that gets it does get a little bit confused, doesn't it? Well, because it's the, the language, word emergency, isn't it? Yeah. absolutely, well, yeah, that absolutely is it, so. and, and that's what you know put me into panic. And then realizing that everybody was sort of, you know, I think they. Were, I, I remember mm. when they were sort of doing their their thing, and uh, the doctors were just talking about what they were going to have for dinner, and and I was like, oh, this is nice. Okay, no one's worried about me here. Everyone's just thinking <laughs> yes. about their dinner, and that's good for me. <laughs> Sometimes that those normal conversations can be quite comforting, oh, can't they? Everything. Mm. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So when it came to the birth of your second baby, Kira, can you tell me a little bit more about that? So after that, because of um, the complicate, well, they weren't complications, but they just said, look, you, mm -hmm. you can definitely try to do this naturally. But after, I think they said after 10 hours, then we'd have to do a C-section. So it's kind of up mm -hmm. to you. And, you know, having just kind of experienced I guess kind of both I thought do you know what for me personally and my anxiety around stuff it just mm. made life easier to say I think for me I just want to book this in and, and know what's going on and have that kind of control mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I had Albi my husband is Swedish um, and we had him in Sweden so 
it was an incredible experience, apart from the fact that nobody speaks English, you know, so I had to make sure Mm -hmm. that everybody, if they use (laughs) any terminology, please do not utter a word in Swedish. You have to go to all learn English for when I arrive. (laughs) Um, So actually it was, it was amazing and it was very calm and, 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 you know, I can't, don't know if I should really say it was easy, but it felt, you know, felt a lot more like I, I knew what I was going in for. Mm. It was planned and it was straightforward. Yeah. Did your husband have to sort of be the middle person and uh, explain to you what was going on at times, <laughs> language-wise? Yes. Did you have to do some translation? Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, he does all the time. But I think as soon as anybody sort of uttered a word, the, the glares for me as in, do not speak anything but English, they just stopped. <laughs> but no, he did yeah. have to sort of, uh, yeah, he, he explained quite a few bits and pieces to me when, you know, that were nothing to worry about. But I was like, what are they saying? What are they saying? What is, what's going on? You know, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, then we talk so much about birth. We think about birthing. We make plans. And of course, as you're discussing here, you know, birth has a plan for us. We have a plan for birth. And, and there are so many variables, aren't there? Yeah. So many variables. But this is what ended up being your birth stories. You had two lovely um, abdominal births. Yeah. What was the postnatal period like for you both? Now, was your first baby born in the UK, did you say? Yes, yeah, he was born in Epsom. And then the second in Sweden. Yeah. So what were those two experiences like for you after the babies had been born? Well, it's, I mean, it's something with a C-section. You, you just kind of, you can't prepare for, can you? It's um, mm. it's bizarre and it is no. absolutely major surgery. And I am mm. a person who just likes to get up and go and, uh, the most impatient person in the world so for me it was quite a learning curve to realize that actually no mm. you you've really got to listen to your body here and and take it easy so it was uh I was in the hospital for two days and the midwives and you know were just incredible I mean god honestly you guys are amazing I just you know there were times when I was not even aware you know I was probably fast asleep and and They'd just mm. taken Archie and changed him, brought him back. And let, I just, yeah, I'll, I'll remember them forever. I really will. Mm. But yeah, it was a, I, it was, to, to be honest, I'd say it was a faster recovery than I would have thought. I was probably up and, you know, walking around within, I don't know, a week or so. And then you just, you're mm-hmm. just slower, aren't you? It's just weird. And you just yes. need to listen to your body. The second time with Albie, I, I found a little bit harder, actually, Um you know, I think just, uh, you know, older maybe. And I just, I could feel it in, in different ways. Mm. And I think you don't, you, there isn't maybe quite as much opportunity for rest when you've got a toddler running around exactly. as well, isn't there? You yeah. know, sort of, so that that makes it trickier, mm. I think, to not, not do things. Yeah, absolutely. Your mind's in sort of two places, isn't it? You've got a newborn mm. baby and then you've also got an older child. And even if you have support around you to look after the older one, sort of your heart's in oh, two exactly. places, isn't yeah, it, really? Yeah, absolutely. And you just want to be there and you think, I can do this. And then, you know, you get the odd, no, no. No, you can't. Just sit down. <laughs> yeah. Sit down and stay. Yeah, there. absolutely. <laughs> but I have to say, I love that, you know, C-section experience for me was, it, it, I have to say it was really brilliant. So it sounded like you listened to your body, you know, you you mobilised gently, but you you sort of took your time as well just to make sure you were really supporting your own body as it was healing. What about the actual transition mentally to parenthood? Such a, you know, huge transition for us as parents and obviously for the babies being born and transitioning into not being in the uterus anymore. Was there anything that you can reflect upon at this point as to how that felt for you and your husband, that transition to parenthood? Well, Archie, actually, he's from a previous relationship. And actually, Archie's dad is, he's 
probably my best friend in the world. We have a very unusual relationship. We're all yeah, like this amazing. So oh, lovely. I just adore him yeah. and he, he will be forever, you know, he's part of our life and family. Um, or modern family, absolutely. I love modern family. Does yeah, anyone else watch exactly. it? It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's just the best way to describe it as well. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were we were very young. Uh, he was a couple of years younger than me as well. So I think, mm-hmm. to be honest, that mental transition is suddenly, you know, kind of growing up overnight. And mm. the weirdest part is, you know, you've done all, the, everyone does all this preparation for birth and, and, and how it's going to be and mm. what labor's going to be like. But then you leave the hospital and then you think, hang on, where's my, is there a book yeah. or something? How, what do I do now? I have no idea yeah. what happens with this part, you know. Um, so there is that kind of adjustment that you kind of just have to, I think just kind of for women actually just sort mm. of happens. Something just yeah. kicks in, you know. Um so I'd say for, for me, it felt quite natural. I think for him, it was it was completely different. Uh, you know, he was younger. And of course, it, for them, for men, I can't even imagine. You're just sort of thrown into this situation and, and you just have to adapt like that, you know. Yeah. But it felt, you know, it was it was wonderful with Archie. It was just, it's just a, an experience you can't quite sort of, you know explain and I think you have to live it to go through it I think it's like you say I feel like because I talk a lot about the transition into parenthood um when I teach my classes and those early months of having a baby but I just feel like it's so abstract before you've actually Mm. gone through it yourself and we always talk about how you just you become the expert of your own baby like I'm an expert but I'm the expert of my three children and you will be the expert of your children and it's it's difficult to explain until you're there in the moment living it and walking the walk really isn't it absolutely and I think also like we we had worked with pet you know both of us had worked with women before we had our own so we thought we knew a lot but actually nothing really prepares you for going mm-hmm. through it yourself yeah. so I felt like I was just like <laughs> any other new mum I was like I don't know <laughs> absolutely I was exactly the same yeah so yeah. you just have to learn on the job, don't you? And kind of do what feels right for you. That's the other thing. There's mm. no no right or wrong. Exactly. And they're all so different, aren't they? Like every baby as well, mm. you know, yeah. Archie and Albie, they're completely, um, you know, of course they have different fathers, which probably has something to do with it, but they are just different. The whole experience was different, you know, second yes. time round, And what you think you know something and then, you know, another curveball throws at you or, or something's a lot easier the next time. Or like you said, it's t- such a unique journey. Uh, it, it really yeah. is. And my my expectations, and I say this again, you know, as Becky says before, and I think Becky's very similar to me, actually, even slightly longer before she had her first baby. But I'd been in midwifery for six years before I had my first baby. Wow. And you could have knocked me down with a feather <laughs> as to how much of a shock to the system really? it was for me. And I was so cocky before I had him. <laughs> And yeah. I remember thinking, so Toby, who's my eldest, he's almost 10 years old now. And I remember before he arrived, just thinking genuinely, I thought this. I was like, I'm going to be fine with waking up in the night because I do night shifts. <laughs> and also, I totally know what newborn babies are like because I've been a midwife for years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my goodness. Uh. But I think with that, actually... I was too hard on myself because actually then I found it 
so much of a surprise how exhausted I felt such a lot of of the time and I had a nine pound three baby and he was insatiably hungry and I struggled with breastfeeding and this that and the other and as a midwife then I felt hugely guilty because I felt like I'm a midwife this shouldn't be happening to me but it absolutely was and over time I've learned to be so much kinder with myself and realize like you say Kira babies are all different our experiences of parenthood are different each time Mm -hmm. and that's okay it's all part of this journey all part of this learning experience. And also I say to mums as well in clinic quite a lot, because, you know, often they say, I can't calm the baby down and the baby's crying. And I'm like, do you know what the difference is? Hormones. Because Mm. before I had my baby, I would take a crying baby and I would very calmly swaddle and shush and rock. And I'd be like, oh, they're there. And everyone was like, you're so calm. And I was like, Mm. I know. And then I had my own baby and I was like, (laughs) she won't stop crying and and Barney was like why are you like this I'm like I don't know and then I was like oh because I'm fucking hormonal I'm like so hormonal right now so I think we have to give ourselves a break because not only is it a big thing but we're also highly hormonal while we're doing it so and exactly the same like you were saying Becky again we could talk about this for for months and months (laughs) Kira but I'm thinking also about the fact that I'd had quite a significant tear I was you know bleeding as you do post natally my breasts felt like they were just on fire with engorgement <laughs> I was sleep deprived so glamorous, it was the, you know it was it? that whole so yeah, oh isn't it so it was those so and funnily I honestly would do birth again and again and again I quite I enjoyed it I'm one of those people I, I quite enjoyed it but I found the couple of weeks that follow once the adrenaline goes down I find that's the toughest bit for me and we're all different aren't we but that's the bit I find with the, exactly as Becky's saying I get quite affected by by baby blues and oh, yeah. as my estrogen and my progesterone level out that week afterwards I, I felt that each time each of those three times quite significantly it hit me hard we hope you're enjoying our chat so far but now for a little ad break hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We are really enjoying partnering with Sophie Le Girard for this season of the podcast and we'd encourage you to head over to their website sophielegirard.co.uk to discover some brand new Sophie products as well as the whole range which is available directly on the site. We have been on our social media showcasing just a small sample of what you can find over there and we'd love to see your photos with Sophie so please tag them with hashtag UK and hashtag notes from the mother box. Now back to our chat with Kira. It's funny, isn't it? Because you forget those times. And, and, and I think it's so, like, the hormone thing, it's just the most important thing because I honestly mm. feel that like, especially if you say that word to a man. And, and for a long time before I had children, I was like, hormones, this is just this pretend word that actually people just say. And that's what we say if we're a bit crazy and that's fine. And I'm like, that's not a real thing. But actually, my God, it's just, yeah. it is this thing that you can't, you have no control over yeah. that just takes over. And, you, and even if your mind is in one place, it's just like they have... It, this hormone whatever he or she is just yes, has other so ideas I totally agree 
Do you know, Kira? I so agree. I feel like hormones are thrown at us as women in quite a derogatory way. Oh, it's your hormones. Oh, it's their hormones. And so I I tend to think about my endocrine system altogether. You know, as time has gone on, and I really sort of realised the impact and the importance it is, is sort of not just pushing it to one side and going, "Oh, that's just your hormones like that," but actually, what I mean, it can affect you know your physical health, your mental health. Mm. It's huge, absolutely Mm. massive. And and it is that thing after you have a baby, you you do have that kind of, you know, when the milk does its thing, and you just have those days where you you do just. Actually, I do remember that I felt such a sense of calm with Archie, but also this overwhelming emotion and I was just crying but I didn't I didn't really know why and I couldn't explain it and people were like what's wrong with you but aren't you so happy and you're like of course I'm happy yeah. I don't know what's going on yeah <laughs> yes I don't know I don't understand anything about myself <laughs> but we don't learn about it as much here do we and, and actually Lex and I have both trained abroad in cultures where women mm-hmm. are really nurtured postnatally and one of one of the reasons yeah one of the reasons is because what we know is that our hormone system goes up here so we're on high alert which is a very clever way of evolution making sure that we respond to our baby so every time our baby needs us we respond but Mm. what happens is our blood pressure rises every time they cry or every time they need us to make us rush to them so that's great but that's quite hard on us you know on on all our systems and so in cultures where they understand this and it's very talked about women are put to bed and it's all very calm and quiet and they're fed very nourishing foods and Mm. they're given massages to bring the nervous system down and I think we don't do any of that stuff here, really. No, and, and women don't understand it, do they? Under, no. You know, I didn't understand it before I did further research into it and looked into mm. it. But I was blown away when I found about neuroplasticity and the changes that happen in a woman's brain when she's pregnant. Mm. And the fact that that then creates this reactive brain. So listen, Kira, I'm like you, I get health anxiety. And I tell you what, because of the changes that happen in the brain, that's even more extremely elevated. Mm-hmm. So what you find and you're like, why do I feel like this? And it is, as Becky said, it's very, very clever. It's evolution. It's to create a brain that reacts to their baby's needs. Mm. It's so that the human race can continue. But actually feeling it in a personal way, it can feel a lot at times, can't mm. it? Oh, it's, but it, all yeah. it needs sometimes is somebody to, somebody to explain it to you like that, you know, and, yeah. and you yeah. say, oh, okay, so that make you know you just need that kind of you need to make yes. sense of yeah because then sometimes. you know it's it's normal and you can sort of lean into it and go okay I'm gonna have a really quiet yeah. calm day then yeah. because mm-hmm. my, I need everything to level out mm-hmm. so and and actually we think a lot I don't know if you ever did this Kira obviously very popular these days is like hypnobirthing or calm birthing and yeah there you go exactly <laughs> and so you'll know that we talk a lot about environment yeah. and and the and the best environment for your birthing hormones Mm -hmm. and keeping everything low lit and quiet and calm but then I think women don't quite realize the importance of that going into the postnatal period in that sort of two to six week at the very least period after the baby's born Mm -hmm. not so possible Kira with second children Mm -hmm. as you know because obviously there's that noise around but just being a little bit aware of it paying some attention to the fact that we've got a lot going on hormonally in our bodies and our babies are adjusting hugely to being out here on the other side with us yeah Definitely. So Kira, alongside having your two beautiful boys, we saw because you obviously really brilliantly talk quite openly about the fact that you had two silent miscarriages. I think were they in your second trimester? Yes, they were. Um, I, I've had, well, 
I've had three now. Um, not oh, have yeah, you? just I mean, oh, recently sorry we had to hear that. It's all right. Sorry, it's love. um, it's you know, it's it's life, isn't it? And it's just a bit of um, yeah. It's it, it sort of throws you because once you've had two children without any problems, it's you naively think you know mm. I'm a superwoman. I can just you know this is everything's going to be easy for me, and and yeah. it sort of grounds you quite significantly. And again, it's something that isn't. I mean, it's such a it's such a huge part of the mothering journey. Like, I mean, how many people do we know who have miscarriages? But hardly anyone talks about it openly, which is why we thought it was so wonderful that you do, because it's really important. Otherwise, it's so isolating. And also, Kira, I love the fact that when when we've watched your stories and for anybody who's been through this, who knows somebody who's been through this, I really, really recommend you go and you look at Kira's Instagram and we'll put the information in the show notes. But I love the fact that you say, listen, this is something that needs to be spoken about. It's really important. But if you're pregnant and you're later on and this this could be triggering for you, move on. These stories aren't necessarily for you. But but for others, you're validating it. You're sharing that experience and there's solidarity there. It's it's incredible you know that that you're doing that for them for it's sure. funny because it's not something that's ever it was it's not a conscious thought of mine it's just but yeah. I, I mean for me personally I know what that is like you know if you're pregnant if anything mm. you know if you're in that kind of if you've got health anxiety or anything like that to, mm. it can be so easily triggered by hearing something mm, yeah. negative and re- referring it to yourself and that is the last thing that I want anybody to feel but also mm. you know I have in the grand scheme of things a really tiny corner of the internet really but I just thought if if anybody can mm. hear this and, and they go, oh, my God, you know, I'm not alone. Because for mm. me, people came back with such, you know, all sorts of responses. But it helped me as well to hear mm. that actually, oh, OK, I'm not the only one that's ever been through this mm. and all this kind of stuff. And and I, you know, for me, no one's spoken to me about this really, apart from my mum, who, you know, my mum had nine miscarriages uh, between my sister wow. and I. Wow. So wow. I've always known about them. But again, it's that thing. Yeah. And also, it's one of those things, and I have to, to say this really, when people have a miscarriage, you know, I didn't realise the impact that it had. I think it's, again, one of those mm. words that's just like, oh, you know, it, you don't understand really the severity of what it causes. And it's not just mm. physically. Again, you know, for me, it was... It, emotionally and mentally it's something that you know I'm quite Mm. quite even though I've got this health anxiety when when it comes down to it I'm quite strong but this you know not it completely knocked me and I thought like people need Mm. to know that it's okay to feel that way and so um it's important conversation I really really do think and I think again what we don't talk about enough is that actually when you miscarry your body goes through a postnatal period so and sometimes when you miscarry your body goes through a mini Mm. labor you know so actually the hormones are still doing exactly what they would do if you had birthed your baby and and so this is why we you know we've been campaigning for for years now to which which is now happening which is is brilliant where people can take leave yes which is amazing. amazing and I hope with that people are now going to have much more open conversations about it because they will say I've had a miscarriage, I'm going to take some time off because your body does need to heal and you do, your hormones need to Mm. settle and, you know, you will be very raw and open for a little while like you would, you know, in in the postnatal phase. And I think understanding that it is make, makes you realize how awful it's been for such a long time that people just do this all in why do you think that is because I people ask me that all the time and I and my honest answer is I've got no idea I don't know what this stigma is mm. why it's there I think it's lack of education I think it's because yeah. like you say 
we go oh we just had a miscarriage you know it's almost like um it just all we went just away I don't think that. people yeah. understand what actually happens during a miscarriage sometimes I really don't mm. because people don't maybe like you say people don't want to alarm or worry and so yeah. they don't talk about what it can look like mm. and so it's become this word that's so normalized but with no emotion attached to it yeah. and I think hopefully the conversation is changing and the narrative around miscarriage is changing and, and I hope that that will change what do you think Lex in your training with it all I don't know I was just thinking about this really and I was just thinking about the fact that we have we know people where both the expectant mum and partner have both taken leave after a miscarriage because of the fact they just need some time Mm. they just need to take some time to sit with this this huge change this huge news and uh, I'm sorry to say but this this dream that's been lost yeah you know, because of course, as soon as you see that line on that pregnancy test, that baby's basically here, aren't oh, they, yeah, in, yeah. in your mind? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the fantasy of what that family unit now looks like is, is well and truly underway. So I think that, again, I don't exactly know when I find it ridiculous that you would need to go straight back to work afterwards. I mean, how how has that even Mm. ever been a thing but is it this stiff upper lip we just get on with it we don't talk about unpleasant things you know yeah but it's it's can it can be very harmful doing that and certainly in terms of the body when people come to the clinic after so I specialize in pre and postnatal massage and when people come after a miscarriage the body is very postnatal you can feel there's a hypermobility in the joints you know there's some tension all around the abdomen and you have to release it like you would so you're like well actually that shows mm. you what a physical thing it is as well you know Do you know that's so important I, and I think you're exactly right it is complete uneducation about this because you know mm. even for me even mm. to be totally honest with you even me hearing you say that I had a miscarriage and it was probably what two months ago now and it was very early this one so I thought to be honest you know uh, this is probably going to be maybe easier for me to deal with. But the physical side of, of this one for me personally mm. has been really, really difficult. And just even hearing you say that, like, you know, it's normal to have this or that. And I'm like, really? Okay. Just that, you know, <laughs> makes me feel instantly more mm. relieved. And it, and it is that. And I, and I really do think that people need to talk about it because if you don't know, it's scary. It's a really scary mm. thing to go through. It's so unnerving and if no one talks Mm. about it how on earth are you supposed to know like this is it's so so desperately sad but this is it's okay and you're going to be all right and please don't panic you know if that's it would have been invaluable for me to know that you know how the process kind of works really um and and in terms of like you know when we talk about sort of not triggering people and and I totally get that and we we will always whenever we talk about anything like this we always do trigger warnings but what I have noticed in the clinic is that some some women who have come in post miscarriage have been really angry that that they they hadn't spoken to anybody that they didn't even realize that this could happen you know somehow they've managed to kind of go through life and they haven't known anybody or or they haven't spoken to anybody who's had a miscarriage and it has hit them with such shock that they've been really cross about it and they're like if it happens so regularly why why are we not warned Mm. that it is a possibility and I thought oh okay that's that's really important actually I think you know that could have helped a little bit maybe exactly Mm. 
should know that there are these possibilities. And, and I guess that's why there's this stigma attached to the 12 week thing, which again, you know, I, I really, I dislike this 12 week thing that everybody has to be mm. completely silent. You know, it's totally up to you. If you I are, know. Ha- why can't you, you know, anything to be honest, yeah. you know, it can happen at any point, but anything can to anyone, or, you know, not just in pregnancy yeah. or whatever. If you're feeling this way and it's your own, you want to say that you're pregnant, you do whatever you mm. want to and you feel it. I, this, I know that the 12 week thing is important, you know, for, for medical purposes and how the, the baby is developed by that point. But, you know, as you know, I, these silent miscarriages that I had were in, yes. in the second trimester and it can still happen. Mm. And actually, yeah, you know, it's just, I think it's so personal and you shouldn't be made to feel anything. I agree. And Kira, I remember thinking myself in the first trimesters that I would tell close friends and family because I remember having this conversation with my husband. If anything was to happen and I was to have a miscarriage, I would tell these people anyway. And I would need their support to get through the experience. So... You know, I think that's that can be important as well. I feel that because mm. this, this, the, the one I had recently, actually, I um, I didn't tell anybody that I was pregnant because I thought, oh, you know, whatever. And then when when I had another miscarriage, I then I had to tell people, oh, yeah. I was pregnant, but then this has happened again, and it was worse for me. And I thought, you know what? I, yeah, I, it was yeah. much better for me that I, you know, didn't have to do any of that explaining really, and it was just. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree. And if you don't mind, because I know you talk about this quite openly in your Instagram account, you had a couple of quite different experiences, not with the most recent one that you've been talking about now, but the the two that you had in your second trimester. Would you mind talking? I think one was in the UK and one was in Sweden, if I remember right. Yeah, that's right. It, I found the, the first uh, time I had a, a silent miscarriage, which um um, if, if anyone it doesn't know it's when you when there are no warning signs that there that you've um, mm-hmm. lost a baby and it's um your, your body just hasn't done done its thing and, and been able to you know to reject it naturally I suppose um but I mm-hmm. found out the first time at my 12-week scan so I went in you know naively just like oh yeah I've had you know two kids whatever and that's when I found out you know and it's that that dreaded thing so you know I'm very sorry mm-hmm. there is there's no heartbeat and I and I could I couldn't quite understand what he was saying, you know. And he was like, have, you know, have you have you had any discomfort or anything like that? And I was saying, no, like, you know, I've I've still got like sore boobs and I feel sick and like, you know, mm. what, what do you mean? I could not understand what he was saying. Um, mm. And to be honest, it was very, you know, maybe for me it wasn't it was a different experience, but it was incredibly clinical. There was no emotion attached to it, and it was sort of like we need the room now. So very sorry you know and I was like what on earth is happening mm. um and then yeah you know and, and then the processes that follow for me I had to have an operation called a DNC which is when they when mm. they mm. effectively clean everything out and, and you know uh, and then you sort of start again um mm-hmm. and the, and the second time the same thing happened but this was a little bit later I you know I got to that 12 that 12 week mark that you know you think is the it's the be all and end all. If you, you reach that, everything's yeah. fine. So I had that scan and everything was okay. And then we went to Sweden because we, you know, we, we spend sort of half our time there anyway. And I just got, to, I think it was 14 weeks. And I just, I, I don't, there was nothing to be honest with you. It was just a feeling that I had. And I, I just thought, I know, I just know there's something not right. I just felt it in my 
my mind yeah that intuition it was right? so strange about that. yeah it was mm-hmm. it was so intuitive and everyone was like oh you know get, you know Kira's health anxiety you know it's not you're being ridiculous and I said I'm not I have to go I have to just check this out I know I've just had a scan two weeks ago but I have to and that yeah we we went to A&E and and, and the same thing happened and it was a very different experience in Sweden I have to say they um they like to to do things very naturally and I was given given the option to have some you know some tablets to to yeah. effectively I had to give birth and that was that was really tough uh, and in the end you know I had to did, have did you do that in hospital or at home Kira because it was later on they said I had to be in hospital so I stayed in hospital yeah, with okay. somebody and yeah. to be honest it happened once it starts it's incredibly quick um and thank mm. god I was there because I had a few complications with that and I ended up having to have mm. surgery anyway um so oh, that one was particularly difficult because it was just a lot mm. thrown at you and, and so unexpectedly as well yeah so it's yeah it's been it's been three in a year so I <laughs> just need a little bit oh, of a break Kira. now <laughs> yeah of course yeah. of course and this is the thing that we find quite often particularly when it's quite clinical in like in the UK is that you sort of you get clinically told that's it now and then off you go and and because people don't talk about it people don't know what to do about it and there's no advice on how to care for yourself really and this is why when when Alexis and I set up the mother box which are kind of like nurturing gift boxes for pregnancy in the postnatal period we were like we'd really like to do a box for women who have had a miscarriage with a a hormone balancing tea and a and a healing bath soak and just you know a kind of a little roller for calm and it's something that would just really acknowledge Mm. your physical healing and I remember sort of at the beginning people were going oh but isn't that a bit you know isn't that a bit scary and isn't it aren't you sort of preying on people and we were like no do you know what we're doing we're trying to provide something that says here you really need to kind of physically heal from this and something that a family member could could provide and and the feedback was amazing we do them for miscarriage and we do them for um stillbirth and neonatal loss and becky has mentioned there that is also a part of it is that we had women contacting us Mm. saying I really love what you do, but I've been through this experience. I've, you know, it wouldn't it be wonderful if you could create something very nurturing mm. for us? And, and you know, don't use this term, Lucy, but who who are have experienced loss yeah. and and you know, the, and with stillbirth and, and the neonatal mm. death as well. And so that's why we just thought we just feel like we need to acknowledge women and and that side of motherhood as well a hundred percent you know um, i've had friends that go through it and yeah. that honestly is if i knew about that i would have bought a hundred of those yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so important yeah. that's really lovely well, we we wrote we had with them we we got sort of some some women from the lost community who either had repeated miscarriages or, or women who had had stillbirths and each box has a little booklet so mm. with words of it so we wanted like some really encouraging words of support from women who had also had repeated miscarriages or had also suffered a stillbirth so it was it was just a nice way of kind of going do you know what you're not alone yeah and actually you need to really look after yourself I'm really glad we did it it was you know it was it really important to just make that change I think to, we, and to- also we were creating them again like everything that Becky and I do with our experience abroad in the UK and the way that we practice it was a really holistic approach and there was you know mm. movement for grief explained yeah. in there we had a yoga teacher who's talked about how to move your body post loss post miscarriage yeah. post stillbirth wow. um and like becky said we had the we had the tea we had the bath soak for healing and 
you know, we would love that they weren't needed. Of course yeah, we would yeah. more than anything, but mm. we also want something to be out there that just, again, acknowledges what women, what women go through and is amazing. a part, sadly, of life and motherhood. Yeah, it is. And it, like you said, that's so important. It is part of life. And I think, I, I you know, I haven't seen anything like that, actually. I, I really haven't seen, you know, that kind of, mm. of care and for women like that. And it's incredible. Mm. <laughs> Did you do anything for your physical healing? Did anyone sort of give you any advice or tips or was there anything that you accessed that helped you? Absolutely nothing. Oh, love. No, no, nothing at all. And that's, again, I I think, you know, maybe it's a different thing. Like you're saying, you've had experiences in different countries and maybe it is something Mm. here because Mm. no, nothing. You know, for me, the first two times I had the operation and then, you know, you're sort of done. And, and actually in Sweden, they, they didn't offer anything. I, I think they always say, you know, if you need to talk to someone, there's there's a helpline. But there's also, I think, a stigma attached to a helpline. And, and you just think like, no, I, you know, I'm, my experience is, is unique. And I don't want to call it, a, you know, it's difficult. I think it's really difficult to be able to, to go and just talk to somebody who you, yeah. No, I, can, I can completely see that. Another thing, a real sort of bugbear of ours is that after you've been through miscarriage, there is often, um, like you say, not a huge amount of support. And the other thing is that you have to have, I think it's in the UK still, three miscarriages before we explore it any further. And I don't know, I'm assuming this is something that you've experienced as well, which I think, it just feels extremely difficult for somebody who's been through a loss like that. But I just wonder your experience at the moment and obviously in the UK between the UK and Sweden are you still involved with health professionals is there a plan going forward where are you at with it to be honest I yeah exactly so unless you've had three miscarriages then you know it's just a very common thing and and you've had some bad luck and and that's that but um I've actually I've gone down the private route now and to be honest it's Mm -hmm. mainly for my anxiety because Mm -hmm. for me to have to wait you know and of course the NHS are under ridiculous pressure at the moment and I don't think I would be able to wait for a very long time to kind of figure out what's going on. So I've, um, and because my mum again has had so many miscarriages, she, she knows the right people. And thank God I've got her because, you know, and again, saying I didn't have support is wrong because I have her and, and she, because she's been through all this. And so every experience Mm -hmm. or symptom or this or that, that I have gone through, she is there and she knows if there's anything to worry about, you know, she knows. And my bless her because it's been, honestly, it's been a full-time job for her this year. And and I don't don't know how she's still, she's still, (laughs) yes, this is my daughter and I'm going to keep her as my daughter forever. She, I honestly, she's been amazing. Amazing. Um, but yeah, so now I'm, I've, I'm, I've had some, you know, we're at the very beginning stages of kind of this exploratory thing, but to be, to be totally honest, I just, after we've had these kind of tests and they, and they, you know, they find something or they don't, you know, that's very Mm. been made very aware to me that it could still just be one of those things and bad luck. But, you know, it's quite strange after having two children that they wouldn't maybe be able to, to kind of figure Mm. something out. So, I think once they they do or they don't, um, for me personally, I just need to kind of close the door on it for a while, um, mm. and and see, you know, maybe in a couple of years, if then if you know if I'm able to go down that route again, then maybe. But for now, it's just been it's been a bit overwhelming, so I just kind of want to go. Yeah. Oh, I just need to stop thinking about all of all of this for a bit. So, 
Absolutely. Kira, you've you've been through the third trimester three times in one year. Yeah. I mean that's During big. a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. God. That is oh. but it's it's huge though, isn't it? It's huge. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and actually even if it's quite plain sailing, you know from having your two boys beforehand that the first trimester can take take its toll it can take a lot out of you yeah exhaustion wise Mm. i don't blame you i think that that sounds like a very good idea i think also when you have had a previous miscarriage there's there is that sort of anxiety when you get pregnant again you're like Mm. well is it going to be okay is it not and that's really draining and again Mm, we don't talk enough about you know the effect that anxiety has on the body and Mm -hmm. and how like mentally and physically draining that is so for us it always comes down to rest you know taking rest and taking time and and also I think in our society kind of with a lack of I mean I'm not religious there's you know not with the lack of that sort of religion um we lose a lot of ceremony and ritual around big things that happen to us and in other cultures um in one of my trainings, one of the things, so post-section, you would have a releasing massage to allow your body to fully release. And then you would have a nice hot bath. And then you come back to the bed and you have a a ritual called closing the bones. And you have these beautiful cloths and you get tied quite tightly around your shoulders and your ribs and your hips. And it kind of binds you and it sort of seals you back up again. They they sort of say um, spiritually, you know, it's kind of closing the body back up until it's ready again. Why do they do that? They do it. It's a South American um, and and actually Asian cultures and Morocco. Morocco they do a similar kind it. of thing. There's mm-hmm. in, in a lot of kind of yeah Eastern cultures and um and then after and then you have like your you can have it anywhere. You can have it privately or you can have it done with all your sort of women around you. And often mm. they'll they'll hold a piece of you while you're in your binds. And then afterwards, um, the binds are released and it's almost like okay, let's start again now. So it's like a kind of it's almost like like a ceremony that says to the body we've got you that's done let's move on now you know and you just think how beautiful that That is amazing it just holds space for it doesn't it becky as well Mm. as it as as well as the therapy of touch itself which obviously Mm. as you are doing the closing the bones you are hands on body you are physically connected to the woman i think it's also just the it's the holding the space and it's the the acknowledgement of what's happening which is huge Mm. yeah definitely Finally, we always like to finish an episode by asking you to share some of your words of wisdoms with anyone going through, you know, what you've been going through. So if if you met a lady who had just miscarried and was feeling all over the place, like, what would you say? What would be your words of advice? I, th- I think just that I think you need to take the, the best. And then it's so simple, but somebody said to me, just take every day as it comes. And, and I think that's such an easy mm-hmm. thing to say, but when you really think about that, it's like, I'm going to get through today. And if today is a, is a day where I'm, I'm not even thinking about that and I feel quite happy, then then just go with that. And if it's mm-hmm. a day where it feels overwhelming for, for no reason at all and you can't comprehend it, that's okay too, just mm-hmm. to go with it. And, mm-hmm. and then let yourself feel those things and also mm-hmm. surround yourself with people who, who are valuable for you at that time so whether that's somebody who if you want to talk about it you know surround or speak to somebody who Mm. will talk to you about it if you don't surround yourself with people who you know will just you know for me that that person is my sister who who she just makes me feel I don't need to talk about it I don't want to talk about it but she's just this presence that makes me feel like everything is okay and if I wanted Mm. to speak about it she would Mm. be there so I think 
I think it's just everything you're feeling is I promise you it's normal and and you mm. and it will it will feel it will feel better and if you know I've got friends who have, have have gone through this and and bounce back immediately and are totally strong mentally and that's okay too there is no mm-hmm. right way to deal with any of this it's so unique mm. as it is with with babies and birth and all of that it's so uh, you know and and also I found when when I gave birth the best piece of advice was to not listen to anyone else's advice <laughs> it just was like it's for you isn't it and, and be yeah. educated absolutely but it's you your instinct is everything yeah. absolutely really and, is, and, and yeah. you're right actually I think sometimes we always say you know take take what feels helpful and disregard the rest because yeah I think sometimes you don't want to suppress somebody's intuition and like you say I think you know you know you, mm. like Lex always says you're the expert of, of yourself yeah. and your baby mm. or you know any of these situations so mm-hmm. follow your own instincts as well that's amazing absolutely thank you so much Kira for coming on the show today it's been an absolute joy having you darling yeah thank it's been you lovely. so much thank you Thanks, I really love. appreciate it Thanks once again to the lovely Kira for joining us today and talking so honestly about her motherhood journey. If you've been touched by our conversation and want to know more, please check out our show notes for further details of where you can access support for miscarriage. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do, look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-Be, where we will talk further about birth, parenthood, relationships and much more. We've really enjoyed this episode. We're sure that you will have your own stories of your bubbers and their love for our partner this season, Sophie Le Giraffe, and we would love for you to share them with us. Send us your photos and your stories to our Instagram at Notes from the Motherbox, and don't forget to tag at Sophie Le Giraffe UK on Facebook and Instagram to share your pics with her too. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. See you next time on Notes from the Motherbox. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.